You are listening to The Emulsion Podcast, a show that informs and inspires the restaurant industry to work, live, and create better. My name is Justin Kana. I'm a chef and media producer with almost 10 years of experience in award-winning restaurants all over the world. I created this show as a way to give back, to inspire the next generation, and help you progress your career. The Emulsion Podcast is sponsored by you folks, and Patreon is where that happens. If you're here as a return listener and enjoyed the episode you just came from and happen to want to support more episodes, visit patreon.com slash Justin Kana. I'd really appreciate it if you can. I totally understand if you can't. Free ways you can support this show include leaving a like or comment on this episode, filling up all five stars on iTunes so more people can find us, or simply sharing an episode with a friend. This is an interview episode. If you missed out on asking your burning question to today's guest, that's probably because you aren't following me on Instagram or Twitter. I use the handed any question feature in my Instagram stories, and I also start a thread for each guest on Twitter. So between the two of those, that's the best way to take advantage of the access I hope to bring you with this show and all of the interviews I do. Let's learn a little bit more about today's interviewee, shall we? Shows like Forge and Fire, and they're like that. They see yep. the glitz and glamour of the fire and hitting steel with uh, a hammer on an anvil, and but they don't realize like, like while it's nice to conceptualize and come up with a design, and it's even better to have a finished product. Mm-hmm. Everything in between pretty much fucking sucks. Totally, it's all hard work, and it's all or or it's super laborious. But the thing is that you have to be so good mm-hmm. at each one of those steps, so you're setting yourself up for the next step to be that much easier and more efficient and better. Totally, and and so that when you do end up with the final product, it's the absolute best that it can be. What is up, folks? Welcome to episode 82 of the Emulsion Podcast. This is the flippening, if you will. Even numbered podcast episodes are now interview shows, at least for this chapter, until I do something that flips it back the other way. My name is Justin Kana, and today's guest is Mareko Maumasi, owner of Maumasi Fire Arts. And as sexy as that name is, Mareko is really the man behind these sexy knives. He makes all of them himself, at least for now. If you're watching on YouTube, I've got some of his work up on screen right now so you can kind of get a sense of what he creates but if I'm just in your ears if you're listening to this just as a podcast you should pull up his knives before you listen to this episode and I really think that will give you some context to know exactly what we're talking about and why I think he's so talented. He's at Maumasi Fire Arts on Instagram if you need to look that up but if not it is linked up down below if you don't want to type that in. Him and I got connected through a prior podcast guest actually Derek Boogie and Morocco go way back so this is actually shot in in one of the private dining rooms at the restaurant that Derek is now executive sous chef at in Bellevue, which is kind of like on the east side of Seattle. It's a place called Ascend. It's a super high-end sushi and steak spot. Uh, So shout out to Chef Derek for the venue. This is a little bit more of a different perspective. As you hear me say in the interview, this was back in August, all the way back in August. So it is a different setup now, but this should be the last episode where you ever get the iPhone camera angle. Uh, Hope that's a good thing. Uh, I'm switching all interviews going forward to have a bit of a nicer uh, setup. So yay for nice cameras. Anyways, in this interview, I ask questions like, what's the value in giving away all your trade secrets? What was it like to work under renowned bl- bladesmith Bob Kramer, his worst fuck up on a knife blade that he's ever done, and how I share, and I also share how you can book Mareko to come teach a knife care clinic at the restaurant that you might be working at. And, and then he will be able to dish out some of the knowledge to keep your knives sharp and stellar for years to come. But first, should him and I start making t-shirts? Yeah, I'm, I want to do a set. So I didn't like the set that's for knife makers and blacksmiths, but I want to do a set that is more like food-oriented, something that chefs might want to wear underneath their gear and whatnot. I've got a couple of requests for those. Oh, yeah? Uh, but somebody requested black ones. 
Like, why would you do that? Like You're black wearing on a, black? Yeah, well, like black undershirt was uh-huh. something that you could see through the chef coat. Oh. Which I guess is okay for some. I would never wear it. Yeah. Well, yeah, especially in an open kitchen. I feel yeah. Like I feel like that's bad. Uh, yeah. That's a bad move. I always like to start with a state of the union. Like, okay. where where is your head at in, what is it, August of 2018? Okay. As far as, it can be anything from, because you dabble in chefs and knives and media now, and, mm-hmm. like, what are you excited about? What are you obsessed with? Right. Um, so, as a custom knife maker, I think there there's a huge opportunity for people to do more um, regarding just informing the customer base and kind of the audience in general. Um, there's there's an kind of antiquated mindset uh, amongst a lot of makers where they think that, um, you know, even 10, 20 years ago, they thought that, or they really were kind of marketing to a very, very small number of people. You know, maybe a, a couple thousand real, like, collectors in the in the country or around the world but with the social media it has created a, a huge opportunity not only to uh to for makers to create a, a voice for themselves but also for them to, to 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 create an opportunity for people to find them there and because of social social media they're literally uh we are now connected instead of to a couple thousand like literally anybody in the fucking world that uses some it's true form of social media and even if half of one percent want the kind of work that i'm doing and, and some of my fellow knife makers are doing that's, that's millions of fucking people mm-hmm. and that means to me that uh the, that antiquated mindset of competition is out the window there's there's no longer competition because because of that large of a number, we'll never be able to serve them because essentially the, the supply versus the demand. The demand is super high. The supply is teeny-weeny. <laughs> I just said teeny-weeny. <laughs> <laughs> um, recorded. It's recorded. <laughs> it's on record. Uh, no, but realistically, like I, especially when it, you, know, you get as narrow as to where I'm at, I make uh, fully forged, custom handmade chef's knives. I have a hard time off the top of my head thinking of more than a dozen people who are doing a good job in the country sure. and so I guess the thing that I'm long story short really? is most excited about is just uh, the opportunity for people to start swapping that mindset and realizing like there's a huge opportunity to educate the customer base because there are a lot of people like trying to shill a bunch of bullshit out there and I think the opportunity is to help better educate those customers and because of the, the lack of competition whether they buy a knife from me or from my buddy Don or Ian or whoever they buy a knife from they're making an informed decision versus sure. it looks like the other stuff but does it, is it the same? No. Most of the time it's not and you can really see the difference between uh, you know, a full-on custom handmade knife, especially one that's made well by one of those top whatever dozen makers in the country or around the world and versus, you know, any commercially manufactured thing. And it's, you know, it's, it's all in the details, but there's also, you know, the opportunity to connect with that person and the history that they kind of represent uh, because reality is like out of, you know, ancient man... Uh, as an animal, we could do pretty much everything, sure. but we didn't really have claws like other animals. We have, you know, our incisors, but that doesn't really do. That goes, 
doesn't go very far yeah, yeah. when it comes to tearing things apart. Sure. And so the knife was like our first necessity. And uh, a lot of people like to talk about how prostitution is like the oldest trade, but I actually think tool making is the oldest mm-hmm. trade because mm-hmm. we needed tools to get the job done so we keep living on. It's true. Yeah. Do you, was there a point when you, where it flipped in your head where you were like, I don't have to work, I don't have to worry about, people are coming to me now. Mm. Like, was there a point because... I mean, you haven't been doing it for crazy long, but you've been doing it for long enough. Was there a point when you realized that there was actually potential and this was like a move that you were willing to make? You mean in, in doing in doing yeah. full time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, at, when I first started this, uh, like five years ago now, um, the question was kind of, you know, what do I need to survive? At the time, you know, I was a single guy, uh, rent in a room out of a, a friend's house, and so I didn't really need a whole lot. So to go full time and do this full time, I only needed like maybe thousand dollars sure, a month. Sure. Um, and so once I got uh, to the point where I was selling my work consistently enough that I was making that, I was like, okay, done doing the other mm-hmm. stuff, which was you know working restaurants. An and easy trade off. Yeah, pretty easy at the time. And then you know, I did want to dive into that though. The yeah, restaurant, sure. The restaurant part. Okay. Because I mean, there's a lot of line cooks and sous chefs and culinary school students listening. Yeah. You went, like you you went to restaurants, and then you like you play a little back and forth. What what where where does that story fit in, and how what kept bringing you back? Yeah, so um, you know I never was very good at school. I love learning shit. I hate doing the schoolwork. Sure, sure. The busy work has always seemed like bullshit to me because I was like, if I'm interested in it, I like it. If it's compulsory, I have a hard time saying. Sure. Or I guess in general, I have a hard time having people tell me what to do. That's probably a big reason why I like working for myself. Yep. Um, but, uh, you know, just as a necessity to pay bills and stuff, I started working in restaurants. And nothing crazy. Like, I always worked in, like, little bakeries or, you know, taverns or pubs or, you know, sports bars or whatever. In, in the my, kitchen. In my, yeah, in the kitchen. Got I was it. always back at house. Yeah. Um, because uh, I was always t- – I'm, I've never been, like – a public persona in a way, even when it comes to being front of house and fucking serving people and talking to customers, what do you want? Or telling the specialist, like, sure. just that whole idea. Like I've always, it, it's only really in the, been, uh, in the last couple of years where I've started, I feel like coming to my own mm-hmm. and I'm like doing presentations and talking to people, Totally. but all through high school, I always avoided those and, and growing up and stuff. And so, yeah, I was always back at house. Um, and so I worked in restaurants on and off for, uh, like a cumulative of like seven years and again it was always you know anywhere from washing dishes to prepping to being online and stuff like that but um it was when i was 24 i i'd gotten kicked out of americorps and i was back in my hometown working in a restaurant that i had worked at before i went into americorps and um but i didn't know what the fuck i was doing with myself and my, I was also actually uh, assistant teaching salsa dancing lessons, and <laughs> excuse me, <coughs> and uh, that's always an interesting trivia point for a lot of people. Yeah. But, um, uh, my friend that I was assistant uh, assisting in classes and public performances uh, and stuff like that, she had just started working for a guy, doing kind of like his book work, um, and so. Uh, again, like I said, I didn't know what the hell I was doing myself. And she's like, you should meet this guy I started working for. He's really interesting. He's been all over the place, traveled the world. Uh, he's even been a clown at Ringling Barnum and Bailey. And I was like, what? Okay. And she's like, I think you guys really hit it off. So uh, 
I was like, all right, well, who is he? What does he do? And she's like, oh, he's a he's a bladesmith. And I was like, uh, what the fuck does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> she's like, well, you know, like in a reenactment village, and there's like a blacksmith. I was like, okay. <laughs> she's she's like, well, he does that, but it's focused around knives. I'm just like, people still do that today. Huh. And so she's like, he's a really neat guy. I think you guys should meet. And so I met up with him for what I thought was just going to be bullshitting over beers and fish and chips. And uh, it ended up being like an hour-long interview. And to find out later, he didn't even know that he was going to offer me an opportunity to work in his shop. But uh, the guy is Bob Kramer, who's pretty well-known around the world. Now I think his his legend really blew the fuck up in 10 years ago. 2008, November. I think that's when... uh, that's when the New Yorker article yep, dropped. I remember that. And, uh, and so in that, me and him BSing, he offered me an opportunity to work in the shop. And that was just before the New Yorker article dropped. And he had, like, uh, he'd been mentioned in Savor. He'd been mentioned in um, Cook's Illustrated, just like one of the little side corner thing where they're doing the price comparison mm-hmm. and whatnot. And, um, and he... For, from those past experiences, he was getting like blasted with a bunch of orders, and basically, it's kind of a bad move to, to do something like that and sure. then not take not on. Not be prepared. Yeah. So um, he knew this article was coming out. He knew he was going to need some help, and he was already backlogged. I believe at that point, about two and a half years, and so and he was anticipating taking on more with the influx of interest. So uh, he pulled me into the shop, and you know kind of did the can't promise you anything can't even promise i can pay you full time totally and and so he started me out like reorganizing cleaning up his whole whole shop like 2500 square foot shop and i think the the goal there was kind of to see you know what will he do and at what level of detail will he do and i fucking completely redetailed the whole shop damn everything he was like okay cool so he started Started me in on some of the more, uh, kind of like the minor processes, and then and the knife making pro, uh, the whole like creation of a uh, custom made knife, um, and all in all, by the time I was done there, you know, I was I was forging the Damascus for the blades. I was uh, doing kind of the work to cut out the blades and grind them, and assembling handles, and doing all handle sculpting and stuff. And but it was a great opportunity uh, to kind of dip my toes into the whole world because. I'd, up to that point, I'd never done any kind of, wo- uh, sorry, metalworking. Yeah. I'd always done, like, woodworking, and ever since, like, I was a little kid, I loved, like, slamming nails with wood. Uh, you know, we always had, my, my stepdad at the time had worked for a construction place, so he was always bringing home shit to burn in the wood pile. I was always building stuff out of it, because he always had nails kicking around. And so, it, it was working with my hands, but in a completely different medium. Sure, sure. And, and I was good at it. But up to that point in my life, you know, I've been, I, I've always been a kinesthetic learner. And so, um, you know, I, I always pick things up really super fucking quick. Yeah, like the salsa dancing. I learned, yeah. I learned pretty much everything uh, my partner had spent the last, you know, 10, 15 years learning. I learned in three months. Wow. Um, I learned how to snowboard in about an hour. And we were but, uh, up at, like, Snoqualmie Pass. And we were blasting down the hill at, like, 40 fucking miles an hour by Jesus. the end of the day. Um, I learned how to like slalom ski, you know, one foot in, one foot out. I, from watching a friend do it for 40 minutes off the back of the boat, um, they're just like, all right, get out there. And I was like, okay. And I was like, you know, I was carving back. It's it's just weird. It's it's always, it's always been how I've learned. It's something about like paying attention to whatever kind of odd nuances and studying like actual like movements instead of 
seeing it as the all overall whole thing, I'm totally. seeing all the tiny little details. And so, and so, yeah. Where does that come from for you? I have, no I have so many clue. questions I, I want to dive deeper into. I have no that. idea where that comes from. It's just kind of always like I taught myself how to play guitar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just, I don't know. It's just always been, I, 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 I started referring to it as like a, a physical intelligence in mm -hmm, a way. Mm -hmm. Um, not that I really yeah, think I'm no, but intelligent. It's, it's just well, for some reason totally. I can pick shit up. Yeah. It is a thing. Did you ever get your wife into salsa? Uh, she's always been interested in doing it, but especially since our little guys have been born and I'm working full time, um, doing the knife making <laughs> outside of that, it's been like, take care of the dude. Yep. And then once he goes to sleep, I just want to veg out on yep. couch for an hour before passing out. So we haven't really done a whole lot of that yet, but she's into it. My girlfriend is dying to just like when we go to a wedding, be able to like bust it out on the dance floor yeah. and I'm the worst dancer okay uh so she's century ballroom up on capitol hill yeah we took a for valentine's day we took a, a foxtrot class or something sure like that. sure I, I still need hella practice <laughs> just it, it is there's it a is. lot of great resources uh amazingly online but you know it's it's not the same as actually having somebody sure. physically there coaching you yeah. and being able to grab your foot and say what the fuck are you doing <laughs> put it over here yep yep <laughs> i want to go back to bob kramer for a second sure were there any i mean you talked about like coming in and those jo initial jobs that you did, were there any initial, like, memorable failures under him? And if you were, like, if you had that process to work through it, was it self-directed or if? Um, it was, I don't know, it's, I don't know how to describe the learning process. A lot of it um, was essentially, watch how I do this, or this is my process, and him walking me through it. Sure. And essentially, he would show me it once, and then he'd go away, and I'd have to repeat it. And then based on how that's going, he decided uh, if I needed a little bit more coaching or whatever. Uh, but for the most part, I got it on the first time around. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, he, he was also very forgiving and understanding that, like, you know, it's, com it's a completely different Brand thing. New. I mean, yeah. I'm sure there are plenty of people who are listening to this now and being like, wait, what? Yeah. He heats up metal and hits it with a hammer. Like, what the fuck? Sure. Um, and that's kind of where I was at. And so he understands that there's going to be a learning curve. And so I think that's one of the things I could really be thankful for, that he was very forgiving in that way. Um, and fortunately, I I think, I, I know there was definitely one knife that I fucked up, and, uh, and it had to just get tossed, um, which was a bummer. And it was a Damascus knife, so it was like the most expensive side of things. Um, and, but do you remember why it was fucked up? Um, I was, it was still when I was early in my handle sculpting, mm -hmm. um, and I'd gone just a little bit too deep in one of the areas and gotten to a part that essentially made, it was, it was in the bolster on the front side of the bolster, um, uh, of the knife and I'd cut too deep and I got down to clean steel. And at that point there's really no, uh, I've, ground all the way through like the mechanical attachments that keep it like physically in place and yep. so at that point it's just floating there huh. and when it's just floating there like that that's no fucking good and yeah. so that had to get trashed and that was yeah that was probably like five six thousand dollar at the time knife Damn. that just had to go out the window just a bummer yeah. yeah and he i've i've definitely adopted his kind of mindset in the way that um 
you know, these things, when they leave your shop, they're out there in the, in the world for the rest of your life and in your knife or your name is on that product. Yep. And so when it's something like that would happen, if something, there was a big mistake, or mm -hmm. even like making the steel, if for whatever reason, the steel wasn't etching as clean, cleanly as he would have liked. Yeah. He's like, nope. And he'd put it in the chop saw and fucking jip, 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 chop the fucking thing up and throw it in the garbage. And he'd rather start over. And so I have yeah. uh, quite a collection of kind of first times and what I consider fuck ups. And it's just a, like a tool chest drawer full of knives that are just sitting there. They'll, they're fine. They'll be useful somewhere else. Mm -hmm. But it's like I've been trying to develop a pattern and it didn't just it didn't come out the way that I wanted. Mm -hmm. And while it's still a nice pattern, I'm fucking pissed because it didn't <laughs> work. So I just like go away. Um, and a, a lot of my friends are like, send that my way. I'll yeah, finish it out. And yeah. I'm just like, no. Well, I can only I imagine. That to be out there. I can only imagine like those values that that instilled in you. For sure. To, like, I was listening to a podcast the other day where this lady was talking about how her dad, whenever she did something, would always ask her, is this world class? And mm. that was like a very like pivotal moment for her to like right. think about. And I, I, the, the similarities are, are very similar where you can sure. only imagine yeah. um, all I, of that. Yeah, I, I work in a shop with three other guys, kind of a cooperative space, mm -hmm. and uh, often they're like, what are you doing, man? Just finish it up and get it out of here. Yeah. And I'm just, I, I don't know, they say that I wear shit stained glasses and I see all the mistakes instead of all the, you know, successes. Sure. Um, but like you were saying, like, is this world class? I'm always striving every knife I build to make that best knife that I possibly can right there in that moment. Sure. Um, you know, obviously, I... You could spend 20 years building a knife. It's never going to be perfect. But at that moment in time, what is a, a marker of your level of skill? Mm -hmm. And it's interesting doing a thing over and over. There's always an opportunity for improvement, I think. Sure. I think if you're, if you're not looking for that opportunity to learn more, to become more efficient in your process, your skills, whatever, um, whatever you're doing for, you know, whether you're doing your mise en place or if yep, you're fucking, yep. fucking building a knife, there's sure. always an opportunity to learn, become more efficient. And I think if you're not doing that, you know, you're becoming a little complacent in a mm -hmm. way. And so it's looking for those opportunities. You know, I've sculpted hundreds of handles and I'm still learning how to become more efficient totally. and more exacting and, and precise in, uh, in that process. And I love it. The, uh, that's the trick is loving the process sure no matter fucking how arduous everybody they'll come up to me and they'll be like you're a bladesmith you you make knives that sounds so fucking cool and they see the show like shows like forge and fire and they're like that they see yep. the glitz and glamour of the fire and hitting of steel with uh, a hammer on an anvil and but they don't realize like like while it's nice to conceptualize and come up with the design and it's even better to have a finished product. Mm -hmm. Everything in between pretty much fucking sucks. Totally. It's all hard work and it's all, or, or it's super laborious. But the thing is that you have to be so good mm -hmm. at each one of those steps. So you're setting yourself up for the next step to be that much easier and more efficient and better. Totally. And, and so that when you do end up with the final product, it's the absolute best that it can be at that moment in time. Correct. Correct. I don't want to make this whole show about Bob Kramer, but I do have one more sure. quick question Shoot. about it because there's so much value in the fact that you like essentially had no idea who he was before yeah. you started working for him. And I think it's very similar in the kitchen sense where it's like you see these guys on the tops of the list or mm -hmm. they have the stars, or they have the articles and you want to go work for them. Sure. But I think there's so much more immense value that comes from kind of like getting in on the ground floor with mm -hmm. something like that. Do you think there's more value? What like would you go work for 
Bob Kramer five years ago as opposed to when you started? Or do you think that like all the value is gone because they're at a different place than like completely being hands-on with you um, at that stage, I guess? Right. I think if it would have been a, a very different experience if I had come into it knowing who Bob was and kind of seeking him out in the same way sure. you're talking about people seeking out stages around the world, especially yep. in France and, mm-hmm. and all over the place. Um, it definitely would have been a different story. And like I said, up to that point in my life, I'd always pick things up really easily. And so to me at the time, I was like, oh, there's just another thing that I'm good at. And I, I think I really lacked uh, uh, an awareness of how special of an opportunity that, that it was. Sure. And, um, and that I, not only was I going to be good at it, but I realized later after I would parted ways with Bob that I was actually, that might have been up to that point in my life, the only thing that I could say that I was actually great at. And I was like, fuck, I got to get back into that. Um, so yeah, I think it definitely would have been a different story if I had gone into it. Um, you know, seeking it out. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. If, you know, coming at it from the, from pretty much like no nothing perspective. Um, I think it probably did have some benefits where I didn't have any, like I wasn't putting any pressure on myself in totally, any way totally. uh, to, to, you know, make the best fucking work that I, or try to strive for Bob Kramer's Krav- yep. level when I'm like or at zero him. or yeah. impress him or anything. Yeah. Um, he, he was really good in the way, like he was, a, like I said, he was very forgiving, especially understanding the learning curve, but in mentorship wise, um, you know, he just, you know, we spent a lot of time just BSing and hanging out as well. Uh, we always started our day off with like a half hour of just like, you know, what's coming up next? Where do we got to go? What's going on in your life? Sure. Kind of stuff like that. And, and just talking about life in general. And, you know, like at that point, um, he was, I was like 20, 26 and he was 52 when we, when we parted ways. And, uh, so it was kind of interesting to be at that where essentially I was at his laugh, half life point. And, um, and so it was really interesting to have that kind of uh, relationship, especially as well as, um, you know, I didn't really have a very strong father figure growing up. Sure. So I really looked up to him in that way as well. Mm-hmm. Cause he kind of filled that role and, and all up, throughout my life, actually up to that point, you know, I had like coaches or I had teachers mm-hmm. that I really looked up to. But, you know, after I graduated high school, like I was just kind of a little fuck off <laughs> shit kid. And yeah. Didn't really have anybody or, or any kind of like structure, anybody to really look up to until sure. I had met Bob. And so, um, but going, if I were to go into it from, um, you know, doing dabbling it in it some myself, um, it definitely, I, I think it would have been. Uh, I, I don't. I mean, I can't really say mm-hmm. obviously because that's not the perspective I came from. But I, I feel like it would have, I would have had some more of that pressure to sure. impress him, to, um, as well as like what kind of expectations that he might have had, might have had on me instead of being just like an entirely blank slate Mm -hmm. and it's interesting um how that gives him the opportunity to just train me from the ground up exactly how he wants shit made versus me coming into it with uh kind of like a lacking objectivity totally um i I feel like more and more people are actually looking for kind of people who have skills but also who have the flexibility to be a blank slate and learn like sure you know how to me solve fucking day long at that place but when you come here this is how we're gonna do it Totally. And so I think it's better, actually, that I came into it as a blank slate. Flipping it to where you are now, I want to talk a little bit about how your 
I mean, there's a there's a reason you have all these media opportunities. There's a reason you have such a large following on social. Like, there's a reason that your books are almost full, right? Yeah. Why? Why flip the script? Like, you you're more or less getting all this recognition on the internet, whereas mm-hmm. the person who you trained under was getting it all in old media and magazines and all that stuff. Where did that? Where does that come from for you? Like. I mean, I think I stink. Yeah. Oh, fuck, Jesus. <laughs> I think that there's still obviously a lot of great value, especially when it comes to um, kind of leveraging the the names of like Savor or even sure. New York or something sure. like that. Lends credibility to any kind of essentially brand, any mm-hmm. solo knife maker or anybody like crochet artist or something like yep. their brand. And so being in different publications, especially print publications, lends a lot of credibility. And, but um, it, it is interesting, the difference between, you know, even when Bob was essentially rising up to, to where we are now 10 years later, um, 12 years later, whatever, mm-hmm. um, especially in a social media world, there's a lot of noise out there. And I think the old school mindset, a lot of people think that it's, Oh, you just got to put up a couple pictures or whatever, yep. and you get all the sure. all the accolades, and you got all these people liking your shit and whatnot. And, but the reality is, be, everybody has a fucking voice. There, mm-hmm. what is it? It's like some like five billion people on Instagram yep. or some shit. Well, they have five hundred million active users okay. or something like that. It's crazy. It's crazy. No, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, but yeah. yeah, so there are a lot of fucking people. Sure, sure. And so it's cutting through all that noise because now whether they actually know what the fuck they're talking about or if they don't, they all have an equal opportunity to make some sound into their phone and sure. then post it up out in the world. And so I, I tried to – I think the only way that I could really cut through and, and make a difference is by sharing what I know. Um, at first – it was kind of uh, a mission to uh, kind of stamp out the bullshit that a lot of people try to peddle. Interesting. Um, because essentially there, there's a lot, and it's, it's always going to continuously go on, but yeah. there's a lot of misinformation. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of kind of armchair experts throwing, uh, you know, Hail Marys saying that this, that, or the other, and being yep. very prescriptive about what style of knife you should be using, what kind of steel it should be made from. And the reality is like, now, you, whatever you want to use, like if it suits you, use it. Um, but I think my mission started out as trying to silence them to uh, to essentially like help help an end consumer or even if somebody wants to be an armchair expert, like just to have better information. Totally. And it's been through doing that that um, I've kind of become a resource and a, and a place where people go to learn some shit. Um, all the way from end consumers to other actual makers. Like I have cu- uh, custom knife makers who've been making knives for 30 years, and they're like, "Dude, what you're doing, especially when it comes to, like the pattern welding, is blowing my fucking mind. Sure. I've never seen anybody do that." And I'm just like, and part of the, like just really on a quick tangent, like just that small part of what I do is, is doing the pattern welded steel, the Damascus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I when I in the first couple of years doing it on my own, I've I've I don't know how many people I heard, especially the old old guys doing or saying like 
you know, all the patterns have been made. There's nobody's can do doing it. You can alter like the starting stack, but it's all been done. And I'm like, that's fucking crazy. How yeah. can you really think that? Because the reality is, modern Damascus making has only been around for like 50 years. Mm-hmm. It pretty much died out um, with the advent of just more economical uh, ways for steel to be made in like Indonesia and India and, and kind of the the metal capitals of the world. And um, and so I'm doing I, everything. I feel like I'm constantly trying to go against the grain and say, tell everybody, fuck you, you're sure, wrong. Sure, um, I don't know if that even answers your question. No, but, but it's, it's well, you're giving access in addition to your product, yeah. right? And I think another thing that's really, mm-hmm. that we haven't even touched on is that, like, first and foremost, your product is fucking good. You know what I mean? And then you started you. doing the social media stuff. You know what I yeah. mean? Though, because, like, Again, because you can sit and talk about, oh, I make knives and I, I, yeah. I have this knowledge and you might have all the knowledge in the world, but to have the product that's good first right. and then give that, like, it's, do you think that's a, do you think going forward, if having the the, the great product and then learning how to kind of like do the media stuff was the generation before you? Because I think about it now, like being a chef giving access to like tv people now it's like if you don't have any i try to do a pop-up mm. and the venue the one of the first questions the venue asks is what's your presence on social mm, sure and as much as i How's hate that question sense? you know what i mean like it's a bullshit question yeah. but it is how it is like do you think that if someone were to you know if like the your the generation under you were to come work for you that would be something that you would try to like instill in them is like figure out a way to give access and education and like bring value yeah bring value in addition to what you do do you think that's a prerequisite or do you think it's i think it's no i don't think it is i think that um for me from a craftsperson uh perspective um i think it's important to know your craft first before going out there and trying to spout off about Mm -hmm. it because essentially if you don't uh, no, like, I could make a hunting knife, right? I can make, I can probably make a pretty good fucking hunting knife. But the reality is, I've never hunted sure, anything sure. ever. I've never skinned an animal. I've never broken down an animal, mm-hmm. done any kind of butchery of any kind. So, while I could make a really good tool based on information available to me, as well as uh, talking to the end user or my customer, as well as talking to other makers who specialize in this, um, I could never stand behind that and say this is the best fucking hunting knife you might ever use in your life. Totally. It could be, but yeah. I could never stand behind it. But so that's why I, I focus on chef's knives um, is because, you know, I have my experience working in restaurants, blasting through food yep. and kind of a production environment as well as cooking at home. And I have pretty solid knife skills for a custom knife maker. Um, and I think being able to, to coming at it from that perspective of knowing how to use the tool is really important sure. before even turn around trying to spout off so if you're if you're trying to get into something and you've never actually done it like it, you know there are tons of people who want to talk a lot of shit about wine beer spirits whatever they've never even read the stuff they're just reading like the magazines or, or totally. reviews and stuff and it's like they're headline readers yeah yeah and they're just regurgitating stuff because i think it humans on a base level they want to feel like a level of expertise in something mm-hmm. And 
with so like how many people are here in Seattle? There's like five million people mm-hmm. in this city. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna keep throwing out it's numbers fine. I don't it's fucking fine. know. <laughs> what percentage of Instagram is in from Seattle? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, th- it's just. I guess the point is that, um, you know, it's it's easy to spout off a bunch of knowledge and not actually know what you're talking about. So I think you know if you're gonna try to get into. Uh, if you're trying to get into something, you know, do it first. Get your hands dirty. Um, yeah, there are all types of groups on social media, on, especially on like Facebook, where people are like, oh, uh, based around knife making. They're like, uh, especially for v- beginners, there's like knife making for or beginning bladesmithing or something for, uh, group, and people are spouting off all this stuff, this, that, or the other. I heard from this credible source. It's like that might work for him, sure, but not, sure. might not work for somebody else based on their actual setup in their shop. Yeah. And, you know, there's so many variables that play into being good at something. Um, you know, there, and, you know, the old adage that, you know, there are a thousand ways to skin a cat. Mm-hmm. Like, there are a lot of different ways to approach things. And so. Do you, do, you, do you have any advice for anyone that's wanting to get, like, their first nice, nice knife? Like, what, what are some things that you kind of look for that you know if you're if your mom or your sibling was going to get into their first nice knife what what would you tell them sure so that's actually a question i get a lot when i get emails people requesting knives Mm -hmm. or information on knives and the the first thing after they say i'm interested is i don't actually know what the fucking buy and especially if they're buying it as a gift for somebody else and so my first advice is figure out what knife they use the most Mm -hmm. stay within your comfort zone before you start uh especially if you're going to try to up your game um, stay in your comfort zone. Uh, figure out if you're buying it for somebody else as a gift for your son who's graduating, your CIA or whatever. Um, what are they? What are they using? And is it kind of of a Japanese ideology sure. based around knives, or is it a more European ideology based? You know, Japanese are obviously going to be a little bit on the lighter side, but that's also because they're high carbon steel, and so mm-hmm. they they don't need all that extra mass to help support the leading cutting edge. Sure. Or on a European side, they're using more stainless stuff, and because it's stainless, it actually it needs that extra material and bulk. And they also come from the perspective of one knife, or in general, trying to create a knife that covers a vast uh, spectrum of processes. Mm-hmm. Anywhere from what you might use a utility knife for, all the way up to a pe- or a, a, like a slicing knife. Sure. Where in like the Japanese ideology, there's a knife for every single process. Correct. Uh, and and. Do you fall in that camp of there's like, or somewhere in the middle? Like where where's your head at? I, I'm more of the kind of. I, I try to keep I don't really have a kit but yeah. if I had a kit it'd be fucking basic it'd okay. be a chef's knife a small like a three and a half inch maybe four inch paring knife mm-hmm. um, and then oh sorry like like a nine and a half inch maybe ten inch chef's knife sure um, and that's if I'm not on the line if I'm doing yeah. prep I prefer I, I can handle a bigger knife so mm-hmm. I'll do a bigger knife and then and then maybe a bread knife yeah but it, it's yeah yeah would Three you ever do work, like a, yeah. I mean, back to that learning, physical learning thing. Have, would mm-hmm. you ever like do a full deep dive into like using a Deba or a, sure. you know, Oh, like, fuck. <laughs> I would love to. I have this pipe dream of traveling around the world and actually, like I said before, I've never hunted, but going and working with a hunter sure. and really going through the whole step in the process and understanding from their perspective mm-hmm. and getting my hands dirty, why a knife is designed the way they are. And even still, like, 
so many different hunters do things a hundred different ways. Yeah. Um, so that still would be challenging um, to really say this is the best way. But sure. to actually go in and get my hands there and then, yeah, and then go to Japan and go to the fish market yep. and fucking watching these people blasting through the through the, uh, the fish. Or like the specialty ones, like for the eel, like the one that's oh, yeah. like the offset. It's so cool. Yeah. It's insane. Do you know, uh, do you know Josh Skeens at all from Cezanne? I don't. He might be a good guy to connect with. Okay. Um, he does, I mean, he has a three Michelin star restaurant in San Francisco, mm-hmm. but he also has a ranch where mm-hmm. he does like, he'll go out and bring down a big fucking animal, oh, butcher no it, and yeah. then invite like a couple of tech startup millionaires from San Francisco out to his ranch and yeah. do like a full blown out evening at right. his ranch. Um, that could be cool if you want to get into the, hunt, yeah, the hunting be, thing. Like, be really because he cool. comes from the chef and hunting, like, he grew up in the backwoods of, like, Florida in the swamps, like, wrestling oh, gators. Like, and Jesus. <laughs> yeah, he's, like, crazy. I'll pass on that, but, yeah. I, yeah, I'll, I'll help do the, uh, the butchery. Uh, I'd love to do that. So taking a more steps up, going to a knife like yours, if I'm a chef customer mm-hmm. and I'm wanting to get one of your knives, what does that process look like? Um, so... Uh, I consider myself essentially like a tailor of cutlery. So if you want uh, a tailored suit, you go somewhere where they take all the measurements and every, all the different details. Um, I do the same thing with my chef's knives. Uh, I talk to the person about what, uh, what, first thing, you know, what knife are they most comfortable using? Because they're like, a, a lot of people will be like, I want a full set. And I'm like, you don't need a full fucking set, yeah. especially if you're a home cook. Like, I know you're using one knife. You gravitate sure. to that one knife every fucking time, no matter what you're doing. So what is that knife? Secondly, what are you actually cooking? What are you, or what are you using that knife with? Mm. Are you doing a lot of stuff where it's going to be maybe coming in contact with bones, either through fish or chicken or whatever? Or are you just, are you on a vegan diet and you're only coming, like, hitting vegetation or yep. any, like, pretty much all boneless stuff? Sure. That informs me on how the knife needs to be ground, how it needs to be heat treated, what kind of edge geometry it needs. Um, and then when it comes to the rest of the stuff, it's, you know, uh, especially when it comes to handle size. I work with people who are anywhere from like four foot nothing to six foot crazy yep. something. And, um, and that's another thing that I can actually do uh, is make a knife handle larger or smaller and that may seem like uh like a an unnecessary step but the reality is like the blade is the business end but you have the relationship with that tool through the handle that's where it contacts yeah and so for it to feel like uh, a natural extension of your hand of your body so that you can have the most control over it i i try to design knives that you don't ever want to put down mm-hmm. and i've received tons of emails after customers get a knife saying I don't have anything left in the house to cut. Like, we fucking cut up everything. Your knife showed up today. We have to go shopping tomorrow now so That's we can cut awesome. up more stuff. And it's just, it's a whole different game when when you have a knife that's built for you. And so, uh, and then also when it comes to the actual grind, I can do almost any grind, actually. I So I haven't done uh, a lot of, like, like an, uh, Yanagiba or anything mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. where it has the aura on the back. Um, but I have the equipment for doing that. I have the skills to do that. Um, I just haven't really gotten a lot of orders. Sure, for. sure. Um, but, yeah, I I'm, I feel very fortunate that I have a solid base 
uh, and the, my ability to learn the way I do that I can kind of look at stuff and be like, okay, I'm going to make that shit happen. Totally. And, and so I can do pretty much anything, which is why uh, I, can, I call myself a tailor of cutlery, where a lot of makers, um, not to talk anybody down, they just they, they have their lane and mm-hmm. they stay in it mm-hmm. because that's what they know works. Uh, especially when they come from a background that isn't necessarily culinary driven uh, or they, you know, they don't have that experience working in kitchens or using a knife for hours upon hours, day after day, mm-hmm. week after week and so on. Um, it's, it, it's hard to try to expand your <laughs> kind of, uh, yeah. kind of uh, your, your mindset or your approach when you, you have a very limited experience. And so, um, so yeah, if, if I pretty much do whatever customer the the only sure. thing i don't do and i the, the thing i've said no to the most is people saying i want a bob kramer knife or i want a haber uh-huh. knife or i want a bill burke knife or something like that and i'm like like just because i that? can yeah yeah I exactly i could fucking copy anybody all day totally. long but i don't that's a real that's um, fascinating i didn't know that orders like that would come in oh yeah for sure and mm. and part of it is like it's hard to get a hold of the kramer sure so, so we, sure. people and essentially I'm like the closest thing mm-hmm. being uh, having worked under him mm-hmm. and also being a, a high level knife maker mm-hmm. um, to getting kind of a Kramer. Totally. But again, like I, I when people come to me and say that I, for, I have no problem saying no. I'm mm-hmm. like, you know what? If you want one of those, either get the commercial thing or get the real thing. Mm-hmm. But I'm not ripping off anybody's thing, totally. their style, because I'm here to share my approach and my perspective mm-hmm. on knife making. And I do have you know, my handle style is a little bit different. I do my integral bolsters different on my forged knives. Um, and that's all based around my experience working in kitchens and being like, fuck, why is this handle like this? Or why is the spine, like, why don't they break the edge of the spine? Or you sure. know, why isn't the bolster more at an angle to kind of, for it to be more, a little more ergonomic and comfortable yep. in the pinch grip? Um, so when I got into knife making, making knives under my own brand, my own way, I got, uh, I also had the opportunity to do all that. Um, and it seems to be working. Do most of these conversations that you'll have with people happen over the phone, over email? Do you... Yeah, mostly through email. Yeah. Um, and the biggest reason I, I try to keep everything steered towards email, a lot of people do talk on the phone, uh, but I always do follow up emails just mm-hmm. because of organizational purposes, especially sure. when, you know, I have a backlog of going on three years now. Um, you know, I, there's the initial contact where we figure out what they're looking for, quote a price, and then I pretty much, like, I, I'm open to people reaching out and talking to me all whatever, but yep. most of the time, uh, I would say probably like 98% of the time is email. I don't hear, well, I just oh. don't, there's no conversation until it's like a month out and I'll be like, Hey, I'm getting ready to start your, your order in about a month. Sure. I, these are the details we talked about before. Is that still what you're looking for? Because, uh, almost, almost 100% of the time people change their minds because of something they uh-huh. see me done do through Instagram Yep. and new, pa- I'm constantly coming up with new patterns, new handle styles, new working with new handle materials. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I just saw the shit you did a week ago. I want that sure or whatever. And so, sure. yeah. Have you had any struggles with kind of like attempting to scale that one-on-one on one-on-one, uh, inter- I mean, like I try to keep my dinner events super small because mm-hmm. like, so like the event I did last night, I was able to connect with every single person at the table cause it was only That's eight awesome. people. Yeah. And it was like, I could be like, Hey, I chose this cabbage at the market this morning because I know you spent time in Norway and this is the name wow. of the whatever. You know what I mean? That's incredible. Like, 
it's so frustrating to try to scale that sometimes yeah. because it's like sometimes you just can't. Have you run into any like are you is that you're happy with where that's at? Do you do you see any? I'm I'm definitely not happy with where it's at. I feel unfortunately that uh, I could definitely do a better job of having mm-hmm. creating that kind of customer experience. Sure. Um, and part of it is part of the reason it lacks and it's kind of very like business like unfortunately right now is um, is because of the backlog and so there and you know moving from the west coast to the east coast also killed like uh, work time as well as doing you know intermittent shows and trade shows and stuff like that that uh, that also takes me out of the shop so I'm just not getting work done so that every time that happens I fall back and so then it's getting caught up on knives and just getting the bare bones information but I would really love to get to that place yeah where it can create uh, a, a better uh, customer experience mm-hmm. as well like all the way down to packaging like unfortunately like pack even the, the knives come in a padded case but it, it could definitely be stepped up for sure then I'm trying to actually I'm getting ready to close my books so that I can do work to get caught up um, and then kind of swap over my uh, ideally swap over uh, my business model in a way where I'm taking fewer custom orders and doing more kind of ready-made stuff sure um, that way people can get stuff more uh, immediately sure um, and then if they really want something super unique and special then then we'll move on with the custom order stuff yep but um, until I can get better caught up <laughs> yeah uh, unless there's somebody out there that <laughs> is looking to help them brother out yeah um, <laughs> uh it, it's it, it's kind of what it is and i'm i'm i've been doing more work uh to get more organized as well i've like essentially a, a worksheet that i mm. work through now every all the different kind of main phases of the order of the the build process and so every time i hit one of those new phases i'm sending it kind of like a progress update and just again doing creating a better uh, customer experience mm-hmm. so that they they feel um, like I'm thinking of them totally, right? and totally. they're on my mind. And so, um, what yeah. would be one of the a, a few of those like if you were to bring someone on those initial kind of like things you would delegate out of the like of the whole like think of like zooming out whole process. Sure. What because Bob Kramer did a couple of things with you when you came on. What would be those first few things you would kind of? dish out to someone yeah so um so like i was saying uh my goal is to get to a point where i'm taking fewer custom orders and do more ready-made stuff and i think that's where the opportunity is to scale Mm -hmm. and that's by doing essentially kind of uh, it's it'd be all in-house um but it would be more on a production level so less uh kind of like uh fine detail like hand sanding and shit like that um because reality is like when it comes to actual performance of the tool and how it feels the, those small details uh, while they're nice they're not necessarily like are you gonna you'd rather get it for a better price mm. or a more uh, attainable price sure um, to skip that kind of stuff so I, I mean and it would probably follow along the production model that Bob kind of laid out yeah and, which is kind of pretty basic which is you know cut out a knife yeah drill holes uh, profile the knife um and I, teaching like the primary grinding, I, I've I have been thinking about the idea of you know if I get to a point, how do I scale? Mm-hmm. How do I pass on the knowledge and information to do this shit? And I've I've done a lot of just like my own only inter- internal work and kind of actually changing the way I do stuff so that I can turn around and pass things on to people sure. uh, in a way where they can learn it in a pretty short order. Would I you think. still do like the super? 
crazy custom. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. That's where you're. I mean, the dream, my dream position to be would be like to have like a commercially made line like Bob Scott and like and then do the in-house full production to have essentially like yeah. kind of different tiers. tiers and then the very top tier I would love to be at a point where you know the business is self-sustaining in a good way uh, you know I'm solid when it comes to money sure and I would actually love to do my crazy like new Damascus using all kinds of whatever and then donate that to a good cause because I'm already like I'm good over with the other stuff yeah you know yeah sure you know getting a bunch of money for something would be awesome but also at the same time like if you're good you're good like I don't know I grew up I, I came up from like a humble background and like I didn't know what real butter t- tasted like until I was in like high school damn yeah like we would <laughs> eat leftover rice we would pour milk over it with some sh- and not even real milk it was powdered milk yeah which is delicious Damn. and so you fucking coat that thing with as much sugar as you possibly can like that's how i grew up yeah um hamburger helper was my best friend sure. <laughs> sure. like that my mom made that yeah it's true um so when it comes to money i don't know i i'm, I'm terrible with the business side because i constantly am trying to like give shit away or mm-hmm. donate to stuff and sure and it's, the reality is like well, not necessarily at that point yet but I, I, this is the first time in my life I feel like I have something that I can really give back with or help other people with. Totally. Uh, yeah. Interesting. If you had to pick one or two nuggets of advice or moments when you really started to f- feel like you developed your own style after like going out on your own, mm-hmm. were there certain moments where you're like, you saw something or got inspiration from something mm-hmm. or you like, you've always wanted to see if this would work and mm-hmm. it, it finally did. Was there any moments like that? Yeah, I think, so like I was saying before, um, you know, I, I have my perspective on which I approach Chef's Knives, and I think the reason I can do that is because I have experience using it. I think the best contributions come from people who are trying to solve a problem. And, you know, if you don't know how something's used, you don't have any way of identifying any problems or how to make changes or how to improve something. And so I... I think people just need to understand the tool best, either through learning how to use it themselves, taking cooking classes, taking knife classes, knife skill classes, or just you know watching YouTube videos on knife skills and shit like that. Sure. Or or developing a relationship with working chefs um, of you know a, a good spectrum because uh, there are people who work directly with one chef, but again, that chef has their perspective. Mm-hmm. I think having kind of a more spread out uh, group to pick from. Sure. Uh, is useful, but I think to really have something to contribute, you got to know how it's used. Empathy. Yeah. Yeah. I want you to plug your uh, knife clinics because I know <laughs> I know that there's people listening that would love to have you <coughs> at the, like the restaurant they work at or come to their school or like whatever. Sure, sure, because yeah. Uh, so something I'm I'm looking at trying to do more, and I'm actually here at Ascend to yeah. today, is uh, kind of a mini knife care clinic, and the basic thing is to. My basic goal is to help people better understand their tools. And like I said at the beginning, like because there are so many people who are interested in the level of work that I'm doing, and there's such a small uh, supply, you know, I actually feel fine educating people on how to take care of the knives they already have, so that you know they ideally uh, don't have to buy another knife for maybe another 10, 20 years down the road sure. versus you know a couple of years. Or ever even buy a knife from me because the knife they got is working so well. Um, yeah, so I, 
I'm trying to cruise around and do these knife care clinics to just help people understand what's actually going on with their knife along the uh, cutting edge, you know, on like a microscopic level, and then also based on the materials that they're made of, what's happening, and then kind of the basic information, uh, or not basic, but just like five, essentially five key points Mm. uh, to helping your knife last for as long as possible. Sure. Um, And the reality is like, if people really understood how to take care of their knives, fucking things could last 50 to 100 years which sounds mind-boggling in a world where people are easily replacing their phones every couple of years and dropping a couple you know a thousand dollars on a new phone sure um and all kinds of stuff you know um yeah i think yeah and obviously that's going to be different based on if you are in a production environment like you're fucking beating that thing up and sure. it's a tool it's meant to do the job yeah and um, you know, it is going to wear down and it needs to be tuned up. It's just like taking care of a car. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you got to know what's going on to really do the right things. And unfortunately, there's a lot of misinformation out there, even even in, in the professional environment. And a lot of it, you know, it's getting passed down from, uh, you know, whoever's in, in charge. It's a game of telephone. Chef. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, actually, mm-hmm. that's like fucking perfect. And the reality, like, it blows me away, some of the shit that, uh, professionals are talking about when they're talking to me about their knives and oh I know that this does that thing because of it. I'm like what the fuck are you talking about that's not how that works yeah and I realized like there's an opportunity to help people out yeah. and I think I, you know I, I'm still a young business so I'm trying to get my name out there more yep um, and I figure the best way to do it is by doing these clinics that, by bringing value to people and help them with the tools and I what's hilarious is like I'm doing this I don't even have anything to just try to sell because I got like like I said I'm going on three year backlog, like I'm not trying to sell anything. Totally. Uh, I just want to help. Like I, I realized like just in the last year like by helping people and creating like uh, becoming like the nice knife whisperer or sure, some shit sure, like that. Sure, sure, uh, There's an opportunity to kind of create a, a stronger kind of legacy and a stronger brand. Um, yeah. It's gonna so it's gonna it's gonna grow and evolve obviously, but for sure. If you show up to a restaurant like today or tomorrow or next week yeah the cooks come with like their bag of knives and you kind of just go through each one like different ones and you say you look at the edge and you say this is needs a little bit of help do you bust out some stones and show them i mean so we could do a deep dive like Mm -hmm. that but i can keep it i can keep it as tight as like 15 minutes okay or you know if, if the place has the time i can go on for three hours sure and really get into the actual like how to do shit totally um but in general, it's just, you know, people don't understand what's, like I was saying, like yeah. what's actually happening at a microscopic level mm-hmm. uh, on their, at the cutting edge of their knives. And, you know, the angle that at which you sharpen is going to change depending on what knife it is and how it's being Correct. used and shit like that. But um, just even the basics, like the five key basics, like I'm talking about, yep. will help make a huge difference. I think... <sighs> Culinary knives, uh, and I experienced this just in the in the in the knife making world. People are like, "Why the fuck you make culinary knives?" Like nobody gives a shit, and it's like, it's the knife that's being used every day mm-hmm. in almost every house around the world, totally nonstop. Yep. And people are like, "I love katanas or a boy knife or a fucking sword," and it's like, for the wall. What? <laughs> yeah. Why? Why? Like they have this mystique. But that's because we we don't see them sure, every day, sure. and because chef's knives have become uh, so ubiquitous to our everyday life. Like I said, they're used every fucking mm-hmm. fucking day. Um, they they kind of get put on the back burner, and, and that specialness is lost. But totally. the reality is, like, we it it helps to have rituals around these things. Yep. I mean, 
and when you talk rituals, it sounds sure. like you're talking about pagan rites and shit like that. But I guess it's more like a routine that's mm-hmm. very special and that is uh, giving uh, or showing respect and reverence towards something. And like the same way we treat our cast iron, I actually tell people like high carbon knife is easier to take care of than cast iron. It's true. Um, and you, you know, you don't just throw a cast iron in a uh, pan into the sink full half full of water Correct. and a bunch of shit in it. Yep. Like you take care of it mm-hmm. because you, you, you're, creating a relationship with that thing so that not only are you taking care of it but it's taking care of you next time you gotta go cook something mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's the same thing with your knives and as long as you do that with your knives those fucking things can last forever totally I'm gonna leave everything in the show notes for everybody to check out uh, you'll give me something like a form or an email no 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 I don't want anybody getting a hold of me really I'm just joking zero <laughs> don't do it I was gonna say like you come to, you come to them I show up at your back door right um uh, I want to pull up questions from Instagram if it's yeah, going to let me, let me show any. Uh, coolest client that you've ever worked with? Uh, the coolest client. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, no, you know, it's, I've, been, it, I've been very fortunate to work with a lot of very talented people. Um, and, I, I, you know, if you told me even, you know, at the beginning of this that I'd be working with some of the people who I've worked with, mm-hmm. I'm like... You're fucking stupid. Like, how's that ever going to happen? And it just kind of does. Yeah. It's bizarre. But I would say um, the person that uh, really, like, garnered me the most attention has been, like, Joe Rogan. Yep. He uh, he put me on blast. Um, he was actually talking with Guy Ritchie. And uh, they were talking, I guess, Guy Ritchie is, like, really into custom-made knives and shit, too. And, um, yeah, they pulled my stuff up. And... Um, <laughs> and uh, they were talking about how it was made from uh, some meteorite steel, or I'm getting. He was uh, one set was being made from meteorite steel, but the the handle material was made from bog oak. And um, Guy Ritchie was like, "Bog? What bog? Like, are there bogs in the United States?" And he was like, and "Joe was like, I don't fucking know." I, I sent an info thing. Uh, it was Russian bog oak, for the record, yeah. and uh, it was uh, it's probably it was carbon dated at 5400 plus or minus. Damn. Uh, Sixty years. Wow. Uh, fucking old. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's... Uh, special. Yeah, he and it's... Uh, he was a really awesome person to work for, and he uh, just... He, it, it's interesting, when, he, especially when you get up to, like, the luxury item prices. Uh, people are either, like, they got their fucking thumb on you, um, or they're like, you do your thing. Yep. And yep. he was 100%, like... This is generally uh, what I'm looking for, but you do you. Sure. And it was actually almost too vague because uh, having constraints in w- when it comes to like what actual style blade and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff um, is actually is helpful and freeing in a way because that's one less uh, element that I have to try to figure out. Yeah, it's, creative constraints. Just, yeah. Yeah. And so uh, he's like this this style or this length hunting knife and this uh, length chef's knife sure uh and then he's like to the right like pattern you do whatever you want like yep. just i love your work you do really good work and uh and then he put it up on his instagram and now i think he's he's responsible for like thirty thousand of my, the new followers Damn. i had in just like the last couple of years and uh yeah it's fucking crazy it's powerful yeah the powerful jre <laughs> <laughs> uh what's the best meal you've had in recent memory <sighs> Best meal I've had in recent memory. 
Hmm. That's a hard one. We can come back to it. Yeah, we might have to do that. We're going to go a little more industry on this one. What can craftsmen or artists or creatives, I guess, be doing better to help the next generation? I think uh, the thing that people could be doing to help the next generation is not being stingy with their information. Like I said, the, the mm -hmm. whole concept of competition is kind of a moot point. Now, I understand the whole, you know, you got to... Uh, what is it? Or, new key, or it's like you get you got to do the you got to start sure. at the bottom, work your way up, sure. kind of thing. You gotta, um, but at the same time, like like all the information, especially when it comes to like custom knife makers, I put out tons of information, and people are like I can't believe you're sharing all this stuff. Or I have friends who are like, you could be making money off of that, and it's like the value isn't in, uh, or the value isn't helping people. Yeah, it's, it's putting that out there to help others, and you know if I need help. Hopefully, somebody's going to come back and say, I know just the person, or I can help you with that, yep. because I don't fucking know everything. Sure, sure. I don't. And so I think putting, putting stuff out there and helping people um, with the journey, or, and you know, just informing people might also help them realize, shit, this isn't what I want to do. And then, it's true. Because I don't... I, yeah, man. In my time working in restaurants, especially when the last place is I worked at, was in Colorado. It was just a sports bar, but half the half the kids working there were uh, graduates of the culinary school there, and they don't know what the fuck they're doing, or they're like, "I hate this." Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, maybe you should have worked a few jobs before mm -hmm. you got into this shit, because you know I have all the admiration for you guys, because it it's fucking hard mm -hmm. work. It's really hard work, mm -hmm. and it's hot, and you got all kinds of egos or just whatever flying around. And in also like the human element and the customer service element, like it's just it's hard. Well, it goes back to like what you were talking about with like you have shows like Forge and Fire, or like for us it's like Chef's Table, and it's like you can watch right. that, yeah. And it's entertaining for Clamor, ninety nine yeah. percent of people, but yeah. for the one percent that see it and they're like, I want that. Mm -hmm. It's like that's not real, right? <laughs> I mean, it is. It's, I don't know. Yeah. Um. It's a Saturday morning or your first day off after a work week. And you're standing in front of your kitchen. How do you make your eggs? Mm. Uh, most recently, uh, especially because I'm cooking with f food for the dude, uh, I'll do, uh, or most fre frequently, I'll do scrambles. Yeah. Uh, I usually do a soft scramble. Otherwise, I'll do omelets. Yeah. Um, just because like they're easy. Like old school French omelet or like American style omelet? Like, do you put stuff in your omelet? Yeah, yeah, I, I load it up. Oh, well, and it depends. You know, sometimes I actually do it just like straight up, open, open face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know even what that style is, but just is there a just name so for I can that? Throw more shit on there. Essentially, <laughs> I hear you. load it up. Um, I'm trying to think of how I can reword this for you. Normally, I ask chefs that I'll have on the show to name an ingredient that you're obsessed with right now. But you cook a lot at home. Is there something that you're like super into? Um. I don't yeah no, no. I, I mean yeah that's a hard one for me same old same old yeah I try, you know I try to keep it pretty simple I yeah. just I think uh, just working with good ingredients more than mm -hmm. anything mm -hmm. um, actually one of my shop mates <laughs> he gives me a hard time because you know I'm half Polynesian I don't know if that lends much to the fact that I eat a fucking ton uh, but he's like, I can't believe you're you're not as fat or fatter than I am. And I'm like, dude, I cook everything from scratch. Yep. 
and I'm working with like good ingredients. Sure. And it's the only diet. You know? I love you, man, but you're eating all processed oh, stuff out of, out of the box, and mm-hmm. you know that has its place. And trust me, like I hit up Annie's mac and cheese. Totally. Uh, but <laughs> I I think just working with clean fresh yeah. ingredients. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Trying not to throw around buzzwords, but just yeah. fresh ingredients. Cooking from scratch. Sure. Sure. Working with good ingredients, I think, is important. Is there a book that you've been that's been particularly impactful for you in your career, or that one that you're likely to recommend? Uh, in the in in recent times, I haven't really done a lot of reading. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Yeah, though, maybe a podcast because we, um, we we were talking about podcasts before the show. Sure. I mean, I guess when it in general comes to content, and especially podcasts, um, one guy I've definitely. Um, gained a lot of uh, inspiration from has been Gary Vaynerchuk mm-hmm. who I think you uh, were saying as well and I think you know and that might be the reason I'm dropping so many F-bombs sorry Derek um, <laughs> and uh, but he he does a good job of inspiring through just kind of helping people recognize their bullshit and um, you know he's helped put entrepreneurship on the map and you know kind of I don't think I'm doing. I don't think I'm doing the same. Like, but Bob Kramer has done the same thing, especially for custom-made knives in the culinary genre. Um, there are a lot of people that really like it or think it's you know romanticized about it. It's it's easy to romanticize really about anything, but until you get into it and do the, get your hands dirty, it's hard. And I think what he really advocates for is self-awareness. And you know, we all have kind of like our own genius, whatever it is. Even if it's fucking data entry, if you're good at that shit. You could make a lot of fucking money doing it. People need it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's necessary part of it. Like we all have our thing that we're good at. I just happen to be good at making knives. Sure. Something that links to kind of both the food uh, pop culture as well as like the rising interest in forged cutting edge weapons and shit like that. So. um, Yeah. Is there a technique that you're still intimidated by with knife making? I'm trying to think. Um, you know, so I use it in when it comes to knife making, there is uh, a process called dry welding. And essentially, mm. um, you know, there's like this meat glue that yep. people yeah. Yep. So there there's stuff called flux that is used in forge welding that helps the idea is that it helps keep things clean and helps things stick together better. Sure. If you watch Forge and Fire, it's like this white kind of salt looking stuff. <laughs> Um, metal glue. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> a lot of people mistakenly think it's metal glue. Yeah. Um, and so dry welding is welding, forge welding steel together without any of that shit. Huh. Um, and so the trick is controlling uh, temperature, soak time, temperature, and then kind of the force and that you're working with to get those things to bond. Um, that's still... I'm, I'm making patterns and, and I'm kind of like... The, some of the shit it's like make or break because I need it for a custom order or something I'm like you know what fuck it yep. either I'm going to totally blow this or I'm going to learn something I, I mean realistically either way I'm going to learn something sure um, so I'm like why not and so does that does using that allow for different patterns or, or does it it, it allows for like different, what's the point it, it helps to create cleaner steel got it so that flux it does even though uh, most almost all of it will be released from the material 
some of it still does get captured and it just uh it's just becomes a, an impurity in the material at Got that it. point and so it, the the goal is to help create uh by dry welding creating cleaner steel sure and through dry welding yeah you can actually do some fucking crazy stuff and i've hmm. been coming up with some new stuff recently that um i've never seen and yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. to say that i'm the first one to do it but there are a lot of people who are super uh, experienced in forge welding and pattern welding who have never seen it either. So it's interesting to see. Not uh, And I guess to uh, to step back a little bit to where I was talking about sharing stuff, part of the reason I do that um, is put that out the world, help other people, but it's kind of actually done in a selfish way so that somebody else, uh, another custom knife maker might take it, Seize it. put their own yep. twist on it, and I see that, and I'm like, oh, fuck, and get re-inspired to come up with something else. Yep. And I think that that is really important reason to share stuff as well, is to be re-inspired by people who are taking something you're doing and putting their own thing on it. I just think it's dope that you use something called flux in your day to day. Not a flux capacitor. Living in the, living in the future. <laughs> well, you could just put it in something and call that the flux capacitor. <laughs> You somehow get a call right after this interview that you just want an all-expenses-paid trip to eat at your dream restaurant, mm. and when you get there, there's someone you always wanted to have dinner with, waiting to have dinner oh, with shit. you. What is that restaurant, and who is that person? Boy, oh boy. Um. <laughs> um. I mean, I feel like <laughs> it, it would be a bit, or I don't know. Anthony Bourdain has cross so many genres through his travel, his writing, his food. He's just such an all over the fucking place kind of guy. Totally. An interesting cat. Like it would be interesting just to pick his brain and mm-hmm. just get more of his perspective on the world um in an in an interpersonal um opportunity like, you know, sitting down, yep. cocktails and some beer or and some food. Yep. Uh and then food wise um, I don't have a specific restaurant, mm-hmm. but I've always wanted to eat Szechuan in Szechuan. Totally. I fucking love it. And I love house. I love the, sp- not just the heat. Like I love the flavor of the peppers. The and sensation. Yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. The, the numbings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. I love it. And so I would really okay. like to experience that. That's a good that. answer. Uh, where can people find you and get in touch? Where do, you, yeah. where do you want to send people? Yeah, so uh, probably the best place, you know, I, got, I have a website and everything, but the best place to probably find me and, and see the most recent stuff that I'm doing is on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, my handle is at Malmasi Fire Arts. It's M-A-U-M-A-S-I-F-I-R-E-A-R-T-S. Um, a lot of people mistakenly, because MFA is Master of Fine Arts, a lot of people uh-huh. see it as, and because an R is so similar, like so, almost an N. Totally. Um, a lot of people will see it as Malmasi Fine Arts, and you'll actually still find me <laughs> by accidentally really? typing that. That's so uh, funny. But it's Fire Arts. Got it. And uh, But it's the same handle on Facebook, uh, MalmasiFireArts.com. Uh, but Instagram, like I said, I'm, I'm usually always doing stories. Uh, as well as just kind of like um, I'm doing more to curate my feed so I'm you know the stories is the background mm-hmm. uh, kind of like the behind the scenes and and so the my feed is acting more like a portfolio and totally so trying to do more to keep that cleaner and more actually kind of more in depth inf- informative and going long form with 
captions and explaining totally what, what's going i mean on you put stuff. all the stuff in the highlights too you could like binge watch your instagram feed it's yeah. awesome <laughs> love it cool well thanks for being on the show man yeah absolutely i, I appreciate, really appreciate you having it. me on i gotta say though Mareko was telling me just before we sat down to interview this that he was going to be on the joe rogan experience just a couple weeks after he came on my show and i gotta say i was a little bit intimidated the guy that i just interviewed was going to be on arguably the most popular solo podcaster show period how do i follow that up but after listening to the interview that he did with joe which i still think you should listen to they tease out a lot of really great stuff i really enjoyed uh, editing and listening to this episode because I really wanted to make sure that I maximized my questions to make sure that he would answer something that help would help you. And I, I, I think he definitely accomplished that. So in typical interview fashion, let's get into some of my takeaways. First of all, the notion of giving information away for free. And more importantly, the idea of market abundance. Mareko isn't keeping his secret sauce stashed away, if you will. He will tell you exactly how to make whatever knife he's making. The knife itself isn't the product at the core, if that makes sense. It's his personality and his creative touch that he brings to his constantly evolving process. I hope you caught that in the interview where, you know, he he will take someone on the books and then weeks or months or maybe even years later, they will see something that he made the week before because he's constantly learning and then they will request that piece in their knife. And I think that's super, super cool. It's also like that one-on-one interaction that's part of that process. And that's why his knives command the prices that they do and the demand that they do as well. Not because he can form patterns or shape handles better than you or I can. And I'm super guilty of getting caught up in this as well in the kitchen, being the best herb chip maker or the best duck roaster or the best snack snapper filleter in the kitchen. But what I want you to think about if you're in that place where you've started to plateau is how can I teach this? How can I pass on this knowledge and raise the tide to raise all of the boats? The next point I loved was his philosophy on making hunting knives. As much as I get frustrated to see people with all of their knowledge in the world and not sharing it, it's arguably worse when you see people that don't know what they're talking about and acting like they have uh, they're in a position to share any sort of knowledge or create something when they don't have the empathy of either the customer or the per- like the, the place of origin if that makes sense that's the reason why he's not going to make a hunting knife is because he doesn't again have the empathy for the hunter he hasn't been through that entire process and hidden in that point was the nugget of breakthroughs come when you have a problem to solve and I think if you're in a rut if you're like yeah I like food or I like cooking but I haven't found something that gets me up up and out of bed in the morning, find a problem. If you're invested in solving that problem, that can really be the unlock to help you make your next move. And lastly, I want to unapologetically plug something that he mentions in the interview, and that's his knife care clinics as my last takeaway. I want to share this video on screen for everyone that's on IGTV or on YouTube. It is is something that I made. It's from a trailer that I created for him on the knife care clinic. So I had the pleasure of sitting in on one after we recorded the podcast interview. And as someone who preaches education and taking care of your tools rather than buying new ones. I'm all about putting this on blast and I wanted to make him this short video to use on Instagram to help promote it. If you want to see the full video, it's on his page. That's at Maumasi Fire Arts. Again, at Maumasi Fire Arts. And all of the audio from that video is actually uh, audio bits from this podcast. So instead of being a takeaway, I wanted to put that on your radar. If you're at a restaurant where you think that he could bring some value to whether it's your team or some of your peers, I think that would be super cool to have one of you folks invite Mareko to your place. So with that, this has been episode 82 of the Emulsion Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you made it this far into the show, please tweet at me and Mareko, tag Mareko, and tell us what you thought 
I'm super, super grateful for your ears. My name is Justin Kana. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Emulsion Podcast. I appreciate your ears more than you know. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help sponsor the show, head on over to patreon.com slash justincana. Other ways you can help out right now include giving this show a review on iTunes so more people can find it. I also love seeing you folks liking and commenting on the video if you listen that way, or even just share this episode with a friend. Now is normally why I would tell you that my name is Justin Kana, and I hope you have a good one, but you've probably got another podcast episode to listen to, so I'm just going to get out of the out of the way here excuse excuse me <laughs>